0: Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and pray as we come to the word today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Lord, I just thank you as we are uh, uh, just diving into difficult things in your word, Father, that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts to understanding. And Father, I thank you that today our faith will increase, our revelation of who you are will increase, Lord, that we will mature in your word and will mature as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hallelujah. So today, as we continue our study on the Trinity, remember uh, to start all this off, we talked about what is the Trinity. The Trinity is three persons in one God. So the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. None of them are the same, yet they are all one God, and we talked about how this can be difficult to understand, but we trust it based on the Word of God because we believe that His Word is true, and that's what it teaches. Then as we started looking at Jesus, last week we, we looked at uh, one side of him because we, we run into another um, from the outside looking in conundrum. We have one man who is fully God and fully man. He's both of those things. So last week we really uh, dove into Jesus being fully man. And uh, the other thing that we have to look at is Jesus didn't just claim to be fully man, but he also claimed to be God. So Jesus wasn't just man man. He was also God both at the same time and it's another one of those things. How can you be both at the same time? He was either man or God but the Bible teaches this very clearly. So last week we looked at he was fully man. This week we're going to look at that, that the Bible also teaches he was God and I think when you begin to, to to review the scripture and to study the scripture it becomes something that may not make sense um, from a human perspective but it's very clear that's what the Bible teaches. So here's the deal. Jesus claimed to be God. Did you guys know that? He claimed to be God. There's actually an argument that says, well, if Jesus was God, why didn't he ever say it? I'm like, well, have you ever read your Bible? Because we're going to look at today where he declares it a couple times. And this is, a, you got to imagine, this is, a, this is a pretty big deal because to the Jewish people, like we talked about last week, you know, there was, it, they emphasized that no human could become God and it just blew their mind that a God might become human that a god might become man and the philosophers of the time they thought that uh that that god was an ideal it was an an invisible an eternal thing but, so if god was an ideal or an idea he couldn't be a person so this is this is blowing everybody's mind and if you think about it you, you this is the thing that's different about every other religion is how god came down to earth himself to save us it's unique every other religion when man makes a religion they, they create a system where we can perform to get right with God. When God creates a religion, he says, you guys can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. And Christianity is unique in that. The, the idea of the grace of God is completely unique in Christianity. So to the Jews, Jesus claiming to be God, though, this is, this is blasphemy. This is punishable by death. This is a very, very big deal. But there are those today that would claim that, well, no, Jesus wasn't actually God. He was just a good man or he was a he was a prophet. The good news is when we study Jesus, nobody argues whether or not Jesus lived. He is a historical figure. He is he is documented both in not only in the Bible, but he's documented in secular history, uh, historical sources as well. Nobody argues that Jesus lived. The thing about Jesus is that we argue about is is the nature of who he was. But the thing about this is that it's funny that, that we even argue about it because Jesus actually didn't really leave us any room to argue about this. Because here's the thing. Jesus came to earth and he made a claim. And he said, I am God. And we're going to look at that today uh, amongst other, many other evidences that he was God. But he, he made a claim that he was God. So that leaves us with three possible uh uh, three possibilities that he was a liar right if somebody were to come down today and claim that they were god uh, i would either think they were lying or that they're crazy so right so that's that's two of the options he's either a liar or he's a lunatic and the third option is he is who he says he was that he is lord this has been described as the three l's i didn't make this up he's either a liar a lunatic or he's lord like he says he was there is no option. He, he didn't give an option that he was a good man. He didn't give the option that he was just a prophet. And matter of fact, if, if that was an option, he claimed to be God. That means he was a liar. And if he was a liar, he couldn't be a good man. <laughs> right? So that's not an option. He either is who he says he is or he's crazy or he's a liar. But here's the thing. And all the evidence that we have for Jesus, whether it be uh, uh, biblical in the histories in in the New Testament, or if we're looking at secular sources, we see no evidence that anybody ever called Jesus a liar. And we see no evidence that anybody ever claimed that Jesus was crazy. There's no evidence of that, no matter which source you look from. And as I already said, if if he was uh, any of those things, he couldn't just be a good man because he'd be a liar. So that leaves us one option that he is who he says he is, that he is Lord. And the fact for any of us to, to claim that he was just a good man would be to call him a liar. And like I said, if he's a liar, he can't be a good man or a prophet. That seems kind of obvious to me. We're also going to look at today that, the, you know, what is the big deal? Why is it such a big deal that Jesus was God? Other than the fact that that's what he taught, there was a reasoning behind it. There was a purpose behind it. He had to be perfect. He had to be sinless. He had to be the perfect sacrifice. And no man or woman could fit that bill. No man or woman that has ever lived except for Jesus has ever been sinless. Now, some claim that Mary was sinless, but I would argue that that can't be true because the Bible clearly says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody else has lived a sinless life, but we needed a perfect sinless life to be sacrificed, so it had to be God. We also saw that he had to be man in order to effectively be that sacrifice because uh, in order to mediate for man, he had to be exactly like us, right? Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be man in order to bridge the gap. And the same argument can be made that he had to be God also to bridge the gap with God. He had to to fulfill both sides of the agreement. And today, that's all we're going to look at is the evidence, and there is a ton of it. It's why I have so much today that Jesus was actually God. And we're going to look a little deeper on why he had to be God. We're going to look at the apostles who said that he was God. We're going to look at the physical evidence and the things that he did to prove that he was God. And finally, we're going to look at the words that actually came from his mouth declaring that he was God. So let's go ahead and get started and we talk about why he had to be God. In Hebrews 7, 23 through 28, it says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. I mean, you know, it's good news that we can be saved to the uttermost. It says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a, holy, a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. You know, the first of these, uh, these verses deal with the mechanics and the requirements of the office of high priest. And the first thing that this writer of Hebrews points out is that ordinary human priests die. They don't last forever. Right? It says that, that uh, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing. That's the first thing they point out is these, these high priests that are supposed to make intercession for us, they die. That's why there had to be so many. That's why we had generation after generation. And if there was not a second generation, then who would act as high priest to intercede for the people? But Jesus is different, right? Because as God, he's eternal. As God, he's eternal. He doesn't die. That's why it says here, he is able to save to the uttermost. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for us. The result is that he can continue in his, high, his role as high priest forever. He's not going to die and not be able to fulfill that role. And it shows that the result of this is that he can save us to the uttermost because he lives eternally to make intercession for us. Verse 26 goes on to, to uh, describe the, the requirements for the high priest, right? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens why is this important for an eternal high priest? Well, the, 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 the original priest would offer sacrifice first for his own sins. That's what he said right here. He had to offer daily first for their own sin and then for those of the people. And the problem with this is that it would have to happen continually. The, the real issue with the original sacrifices is that the, the blood of bulls and goats could never fully take away sin. They just took away that chunk of sin. They were a temporary uh, solution for an eternal problem. And that's why they had to continue it, uh, make it uh, the offering continually. But Jesus is different because he was sinless, because he was God, because he was perfect. He didn't have to make an offering of sin for himself. That wasn't a requirement. If, if, if he never sinned, he didn't have to make an offering of sin for himself. And then he gave up his own life to make an offering of sin for all of us. Verse 28 says, The law appoints men in their weakness. But Jesus is perfect forever. He has no weakness. He is able to to stand in the gap forever for us, to continually intercede because he doesn't die. He doesn't need to make a sacrifice for himself. And the sacrifice he made for us is eternal. It lasts forever forever. That's why the scripture says that there is no longer a sacrifice for sin because he made it once and for all. And he was the perfect sacrifice because he was without sin. And he was fully man, as we looked at last week, so he could make an offering for us. But because he was God, that makes him infinite. Have you ever thought about that? If if Jesus was just a man, how many... And, and the, the, the wages of sin is death. And if he was just a man, how many men's sin could he pay for if he was just a man? One. He's one man. He could give his life to make up for another man. But as God, being infinite, he can lay down his life and it covers the entirety of sin for all men. That's why he had to be God. He is God, so his life is infinite, able to, to pay an infinite amount of sins for all men. This is what... Uh, pope leo the first said and i thought it was 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 pretty uh, uh enlightening he said the proper character of both natures was maintained and came together in a single person lawliness was taken up by majesty weakness by strength mortality by eternity to pay off the debt of our state invulnerable nature was was united to a nature that could suffer so that in a way that corresponded to the remedies were needed in one and the same mediator between God and humanity the man Christ Jesus could both on one hand die and on the other hand be incapable of death thus was true god born in the undiminished and perfect nature of a true man complete in what is his and complete in what is ours that's some wisdom about the nature of Christ right there In other words, Jesus had to be fully man in order to, one, be a a substitute, a proper substitute for us, but also just in order to die, he had to become man. Because as God, he couldn't be killed. That's why he had to set aside his deity. But then he also had to be God in order to eternally act as our high priest. And Jesus being God in the flesh wasn't just a, a nice gesture on god's part but it was required he had to be man and he had to be god or otherwise god's plan wouldn't work but the good news is he's god and his plans work amen hallelujah and see that's the thing is the other option is god could have just waved his hand and forgiven all the sin and some people say that you know they think that this you know what god did sacrificing his son and and one, they, they, they think it's some sort of like cosmic child abuse because they don't realize that it actually is God that gave Himself up. But the other thing is, is if God would have just wiped sin away, then He wouldn't have been just. He wouldn't have been right. And these are eternal characteristics of who God is. And if He were to not become right, to not become just by just waving our sin away, then He would no longer be God. But since He is God and He has to remain righteous and He has to remain just, He made a way so that He could still make sure that we were included, that He could still make sure that we were saved, so He could still make sure that we could spend eternity with Him all the while maintaining who He is. Amen? That's just an amazing thing to me. We also begin to look at Scripture, and and we talked about this briefly, uh, I think uh, a few weeks ago, is what I like to refer to as simple math when you're determining if Jesus is God. John 1, 1-5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God. The Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, there's some good things here. One, we see some simple stuff. The Word was with God, but the Word also was God. So keep that in mind. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who was in the beginning with God? The Word. All things were made through him, and with him was not anything made that was made, speaking of the Word. And then it says, In him was life, and the light was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. I do know that's good news? The darkness has not overcome Jesus. Amen? Now if we go on a little bit further, Oh, apparently I didn't put that one. I even had one more slide I didn't add in here. This would have been crazy. Let me read you this a little bit farther. John 1, 14 through 16. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember the Word. He became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's Jesus. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and from full of truth. So now we have the Word, who was God, through which everything was created, and that Word became flesh, which is Jesus. So if the Word was God, and the Word is also Jesus, then that must mean that Jesus is God. How people don't see this blows me away sometimes because it's such a simple equation. And not only that, though, we have a simple logic problem here as well. Does anybody ever read the Bible like math and logic? Sometimes it helps. Here's a logic problem for you. John says that Jesus was there in the beginning and that all things were made through him. And if that's so, then we know that Jesus always was. You know, the, the, the man Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago. But Jesus the Son, as God, as a person of God, has always been there. Before the creation and our universe started, there was no man, right? We can all agree on that. Because right when when the creation was, when, when God said, let's create man in our image, I mean, the universe had already been around for like six days. And so we know in the beginning there was nothing, but the word was there in the beginning with God, before it started. And all things were made through him, so he had to be there before for everything to be made through him, right? And if all things were created through Jesus, and he was there at the beginning, and there was no man at the beginning, who was at the beginning? God, right? Logically, Jesus had to be God as well. All things were created through him, so he had to be there beforehand. We also find, as we talked about a, a few weeks ago, evidence of his existence in the book of Genesis. and In Genesis 1:26 through 27, you see that he says, let us make man in our image, and we see this, this uh, a social nature of God because there's three persons and one God and they've always been in fellowship with one another. And it's the reason why, and I've said this multiple times, but it's the reason why that, that we are social beings. It's the reason why we have a need for fellowship. It's because we're created in God's image and God has always had fellowship with himself in the three persons of the Godhead. And I realize when I look at this, the nature of this is difficult to understand because we have nothing to relate to. And I understand that, that how can you have three different persons and, and one being and one God? It doesn't make sense. And then we have, we have uh, fully God, fully man, and one Jesus. And that doesn't seem to make sense. But the reality is, is that's what the Bible teaches. And as Christians, we trust the Word of God. You know, one day... We're going to get to heaven, and our human minds, I think, are going to be expanded to finally understand this stuff. I'm going to go, oh, that makes sense. Now I get it. But right now, in the, the finiteness of our minds, and, our, and the finite ability for us to understand, we just trust the Word of God. Amen? Because this, is, this concept is what the Bible clearly teaches. Let's keep moving on. Some more evidence that Jesus is God. Luke Huh. Maybe I just added an extra verse in there for no reason. There's that one that we talked about, Colossians. <laughs> Colossians one fifteen through seventeen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and in invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul here is asserting the deity of Christ once again. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. uh, Jesus was an exact representation and revelation of who God is. God the Father is invisible to us but when jesus was on earth he became visible because he was the the image of an invisible god he was the exact representation the exact nature of who god is that's why jesus could say this in john 14 9 jesus said have i been with you so long and you still don't know me philip whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father because that's what they this is the, the, the the if you don't understand this stuff you're in good company The disciples didn't understand it either, right? So the disciples were like, Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, didn't we go over this already? How can you say, show me the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because he is the image of the invisible God. He is an exact representation of God. That's why you may have heard me say that uh, reference Jesus as perfect theology. Let's say... uh, Uh, A man-made, finite term to describe who Jesus is. But the reality is, is what you see Jesus doing is the perfect will of the Father. It's the perfect nature of the Father. Whatever you see Jesus do, we know that that is what God wants. It's who He is because He is the perfect image of Him. And then, when we start talking about this idea that Jesus is God, one of the biggest... uh, uh, pushbacks that you'll get for that is this verse right here did you know this the same one that i'm using to show jesus is god people will use to show that he's not because it says right here he is the firstborn of all creation and people get all confused by this they go well if he's the firstborn, that means that he's created he's the firstborn of all creation then he's created if he's the first born of creation how how could he be bigger than creation how could he be god if he was actually the firstborn this is the argument that they're going to make and it runs into two big problems one we just looked at that jesus was already there matter of fact if you go down just a little bit further it says that all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things but even if that wasn't there they still start making the argument no no no. it says he was the firstborn but the problem is is we have to understand what the heck is paul talking about when he refers to firstborn Spoiler alert, he's not talking to physical birth. He's actually talking about not the order of when he was born, but rather an importance or or a rank of who Jesus is. For example, the firstborn gets the inheritance. The firstborn gets everything first. When the firstborn in a family, particularly in those times, was considered the, the greater, and they're the ones that inherited everything. It was a rank. Even among the children, the firstborn would always take priority. And as you said, he couldn't be the firstborn of all created things in a natural birth because we just read here, everything was created through him, for him, and he is before all things. And the thing is, is that Jesus wasn't created because God is not a created being. And if you think I'm just making this stuff up about being firstborn, let me read you something in, the, in, in Psalms 89-27. This is a similar language referring to David. Psalms 89 27, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. This is speaking of David. How many you know he wasn't firstborn? Matter of fact, he was born so far down the food chain, they didn't even want to bring him in when there was an opportunity for him to be anointed as king. Yet he still referred to as firstborn. That's exactly what is happening here. He's the firstborn of all creation. He is the, the highest ranking of all creation is what it's referring to here. And that's the thing is we know that that God did these things. God created the stuff. God was there before all things and all things through God hold together. And it's referred to as Jesus as well. This is just more evidence that Jesus is God. And if we go on, we see in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 that he has the form of God. Uh, Philippians 2 5 through 8 says, This have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Once again, Paul's asserting the deity of Christ. We looked at this this scripture last week showing that Jesus was man. Because he emptied himself, taking the form of servant and becoming fully man, because he had to be fully man in order to die on a cross, because God can't die, but Jesus, as fully man, could. But it says that he emptied himself didn't, and uh, did not consider that uh, uh, being like God was. Where's that? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, because he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He laid aside his, de- his deity. He actually set it aside. Well, how many of you know if you're going to lay aside your deity, you have to have deity to lay aside, right? It's just, just one more thing that's so uh, apparently obvious to me, and I hope it's obvious to you that in order to lay aside his deity, he had to be deity. If he was, if he was not God, how could, he th- how could he even consider equality with God not to be something to be grasped? None of us are ever thinking, I could try to be equal with God. And the people that are, are crazy. He had the form of God. He had the image of God. He was God. Where are we at? Twelve minutes left. All right. Exodus 20. We're going to keep going. <laughs> so we're going to keep going. One thing we want to, I want to point out a an attribute of God. First, we're going to look at an attribute of God. Exodus 24-5 says, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. How many of the worship is reserved for God only? God is the only one who receives worship. He is a jealous God, the scripture says. He says, don't bow down to anything else. All worship is reserved for me, and there are times in the Bible, and I'm not going to read you the passages for sake of time. But uh, in Acts 14:11 through 15, you're going to see Paul and Barnabas are being referred to as Zeus and Hermes, and they're they're calling them gods. And the Bible says that they tore their clothes. And when you read that in the Old Testament, the reason why Jewish men would tear their clothes was an was a, was a expression of aberration for what was going on. They hated it. They're like, what are you guys doing referring to us as gods? We're just like you. Knock it off. And it's not just men who do this when they're starting to become worshipped. That's what happened. They're calling them God. They're worshipping them. Angels do the same thing. If you want to go ahead and read about this in Revelations 22, 8 through 9, you're going to see the angel that's speaking to John. And John falls down on his knees and begins to worship the angel. And the angel says, whoa, what are you doing? Stand up. I'm just a servant like you. Because worship should not be made available to angels or to men. It's reserved only for God. And the reason I bring this up and why it's so important is because as we're going to see, Jesus receives worship. Luke 5-8 through says when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus receives this worship. He doesn't tell him to stop. He doesn't tear his clothes. He doesn't push him away. He receives this worship. Matthew 14-33. And those who in the boat worshipped him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They're worshipping Jesus. Once again, he doesn't turn him away. He doesn't push back. He receives this worship. Matthew 28, 7 through 9 says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. This is after he died. He rose from the dead and now they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. And once again, Jesus didn't push back. Jesus always received worship. Jesus was a Jewish man. He knew what the Bible said about worship. But Jesus understood who he was. And he received worship because he was God. And the interesting thing about this is that the men who fell at his feet were worshiping. They knew these. These were Jewish men as well. They knew these same scriptures. So not only was Jesus receiving worship, demonstrating his deity, but these men fell at his feet, demonstrating that they believed in his deity as well. They understood who he was. We're also going to see that Jesus does one other thing that only God can do. Uh, Mark 22, 5 through 11. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that, and they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. This is just more evidence that Jesus was God because they were clear, right? Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus forgave sins, demonstrating that he yet was God. But in addition to that, because he knew that they were going to be freaking out, he said, here, let me prove it to you. Which is easier for you to do, to say I'm forgiving sins or just to prove to you that I can forgive sins Let me heal this man. He tells him to get up and walk and he gets up and he walks. And I find this amazing. This is an amazing story to me because nowadays we don't have near as much issues with forgiveness of sins. We all want that, right? Salvation is a relatively simple thing. We say, come up, receive Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody's okay with that. But being healed is the super miracle today, right? If somebody gets gets healed, they have a limb grow back, they're cured of cancer, they're cured of whatever. We're like, that's amazing. Back then they're like, you forgave sins. That's crazy. You can't do that. Oh, you're just going to heal them? No big deal. We see that all the time. <laughs> Apparently healing wasn't the big deal, but salvation was. The truth is, for us, salvation should be the big deal as well. Healing is just icing on the cake. Because how many of you know that you can get healed and still go to hell? But if, if you have your sins forgiven, even if you never get healed, you're still going to heaven. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But Jesus went ahead and forgave those sins to demonstrate who he was. Then we also have here in Acts 7, 54 through 59, is, is somebody else recognizing who Jesus was. This is Stephen as he's being stoned. And it says uh, in verse 54, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But when he, when he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So now we have Stephen. He's preaching to the high priests and those that were with them. He's going ahead and he's telling them all the stuff about Jesus, how he's God, how he died for them sins. And as he's finishing, he sees a glimpse from heaven. And he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. And the Jews really didn't like that, they had proclaimed, that he had proclaimed this. Because he says, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. And that's what Jesus called himself, the Son of Man. And we'll see why later. But as he's dying, he doesn't cry out, God, receive my spirit. He says, Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. God's the only one that can receive your spirit. If Jesus was just some man, how could he go ahead and receive Stephen's spirit? But Stephen was convinced that Jesus was God and could indeed he receive the spirit or her witness said it. And it's more evidence to us as Jesus receives his spirit that he is who he says he is. We also see that, that he's praying to Jesus. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And prayer is reserved for God as well. Just one more instance in demonstration that one, the disciples believed that he was God and Jesus also received these things as God. <clears throat> And John 5.18, it says this, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is a big deal to the Jews. We see here that, that uh, uh, Jesus was calling God his father. And we could think of this as like the, the Jews would think of this um, we say, what's the big deal with that? Didn't the Jews think that God was their father? And they don't think of it quite the same way that we do today, but still they would pray, our father who is in heaven, they had this idea that God was their father, but not, not in, in the sense that God created all men. God created everything. That was how God was their father. Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus was saying, God is my, my daddy. Like, you know, he's, I'm his only begotten son. This was more than just that, that general God is my father. And we know that because he says right here, he was calling himself uh, God his own father, making himself equal with God. that was their big problem and and why do they why is that such a big issue? Well because when you say that he was his own father, you're saying that you're the, the same nature as him anything that we produce, you know when, when, when I had when, I, when my wife and I had Blake, Blake is is very much like me same DNA he's, he's more than just general I'm not just like his general father, but like I, I am his father I made him he's from me. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. And they clearly understood what Jesus was saying. And if we're confused, we can read the interpretation. This is why they wanted to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, because he was calling himself God, his own father. Why was that a big deal? Because he was making himself equal with God. You know, people say that that Jesus never declared that he was God, but the Jews obviously thought he did, because he was making himself equal. And this isn't the only time. Jesus comes out and flat out says it a couple times. I'm trying to hurry, guys. John 8, 52 through 58, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? That's a simple question. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, the thing is, is that the word that he's using here is not, this isn't, this isn't they didn't misunderstand him and think, oh, I always was. They, this is just like when, when Moses was in the desert and he was speaking to the burning bush and Jesus, he asked, who shall I say you are? And, Jesus, and God said, I am who I am. He said, I am, which I think is brilliant because can you imagine like God trying to come up with the words to describe who he is, an infinite God to have finite minds and he's like, I could list all the qualities, but that still wouldn't quite cover it. Just tell him I am <laughs> like that's, I think that's how I see that. I don't know. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's more spiritual to it. But I think it's just there's no way for us to describe God accurately with our finite minds and our finite vocabulary. So God says, tell him that I am. And Jesus just says, before Abraham was, I am. And if there's any, anything to be clear about the, the word that's used or the Greek words that are used there, it's very clear what he's saying. He's making himself out to be God. He says it. And it's not the only time either. Mark 14, 16, 61 through 64 says, But he remained silent and made no answer again of the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. And coming with the clouds of heaven and the high priest tore his garment and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Same thing. He says, I am. But even more than that, he says, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. And that was something the Jews understood as well. Because this idea of the Son of Man, you can read about it in uh, Daniel seven thirteen. It's a Messianic prophecy. And it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This was a, a specific um, pointing to the Messiah. And he that's what he says. That's me. I am the Son of Man. And I am. And if you're confused, well, like, how does that make sense when you read it? It doesn't seem so strange to me. I am son of man. It doesn't make sense. But we can know, if nothing else, by how the Jews interpreted it, by what he meant. Because the high priest tore his garments. Remember what I told you what the high tearing of garments meant? They abhorred what he was saying. They, they knew that he was claiming to be God, saying right then that he was God. And they condemned him as deserving of death. But it's not the only time Jesus says, I'm God. Remember a few weeks ago, I was trying to remember what the other verse was in Revelation when, when Jesus says this. This first one in Revelation one this is God speaking. God the Father says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. But if you go a little bit further in Revelations 22 through 13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. First one god speaking i'm the alpha and the and the omega now it's jesus speaking you can tell because it's probably in red in your bible or if you just read your bible you can tell by context but uh this is jesus speaking and he says the exact same thing that god just said now there can't be two beginnings and ends how many know that another little logic problem for you there's only one beginning and one end god claims to be it and jesus claims it conclusion jesus is god amen Hallelujah! I think I'm going to almost make it. We're going to keep going. Anybody ever heard of the Granville Sharp rule? It's a, uh, a a rule that was discovered about 100 years ago when you're translating Greek. 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 When you're translating Greek, this guy named uh, Granville Sharp came up with this rule, and we found that it still holds true today when you are, are translating Greek. And then, let me read it to you. And A guy named James White says basically it's this. I chose this one because it's really difficult to understand and read if you see the actual rule. But basically it states this, that when you have two nouns which are not proper names, such as Cephas, Paul, or Timothy, which are describing a person, and the two nouns are connected by the word and, and the first noun has the article the, while the second does not, both nouns are referring to the same person. This is a rule that was made 100 years ago by Granville Sharp. Um, it still applies today. There is not a single instance. Matter of fact, this is uh, uh, Granville Sharp distinctly noted that the rule applies when the two nouns are singular and apply to persons and not things. And when these restrictions are considered, there are no exceptions to be noted in the native Koine Greek constructions. Not a single exception to this rule in anything we've ever translated in Greek. Right? So let's read the scripture now. Second Peter one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. According to that rule, God and Savior both apply to Jesus Christ. The Bible just flat out comes out and says it, that he is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is Peter describing this to us. And we know based on, on the, the way that we translate Greek that they're referring to the same person. But it's not the only time we see it because Paul says the same thing when he's ministering to Titus. Titus 2.13, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like I said, there are no exceptions to this rule in anything we've ever translated. So it's safe to say that 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 Peter and Paul are both referring to Jesus as one and the same, God and Savior. And then we'll go ahead and finish up here today. And I'm only five minutes over now. By the time we're done, only like 10 minutes over. We're doing all right. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, You know, we find that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature because their nature, God's nature and his nature are one in the same. And he upholds the universe by his word, who we've already seen as God's word. And he's a different person than the father. There's no doubt that Jesus is different than the father. But him and the father say, share the same nature because they are Both God. And I don't know about you, and I know I went through it fast because I'm trying not to keep you guys here all afternoon and I'm still over time, but there seems to be an insurmountable amount of evidence that points to Jesus being God. In my mind, there can be no doubt. That is what the Word is clearly teaching us, is that Jesus is God. And, and it's an amazing thing because God came down from heaven. He stepped aside from his throne, set aside his deity, came in the flesh, and he gave his life for us. And because of that, we are forgiven and we are free for all eternity. if We'll only place our faith in him. What an amazing thing is that. You know, it's when you, when you look far away, And you go, that's interesting. God loved you a lot, so he sent his own sacrifice. But then when you begin to dig deeper and you find out that that it wasn't just something, Jesus wasn't something that God created as a sacrifice. Jesus was actually God stepping off. It was God himself. God God gave his life for you. Do you understand that? That is an amazing thing. And it had to be that way. Like I said, he had to be man because he had to be a, a, an acceptable substitute for us. And he had to be God because he had to be without sin. And he had to be infinite in order to pay for an infinite amount of sins among many men. Amen. But Like I said, I think the evidence is clear. I hope you'll agree with me that uh, Jesus is God. The evidence was clear last week that he was man, fully man. Evidence is clear this week he is fully God. And uh, as we continue to go through this, I hope you'll continue to learn and grow and understand the nature of the Trinity because next week we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is also God and see what his role is in the plan of salvation. Remember that God the Father laid out the plan of salvation. He built, he created the plan of salvation. God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ, he went ahead and He, he fulfilled or acted out the plan of salvation. And then we're going to see next week that the Holy Spirit is the executor or the, the, the one that applies that salvation to our lives. Let's go ahead and bow our head. Is there anybody in this room that has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? No? Hallelujah. And for those who are watching online, I hope as you've listened today, you see that the, the measure that God went because of his love for you. He got off the throne and he set aside his deity and lived as a man so that he could pay the penalty and price for every failure that you've ever had. The scripture says that all fall short of the glory of God. And we know that the wages of sin is death. You see, the the thing about this is that God is righteous. He is perfect and he is pure and Nobody can be in God's presence unless they are also those things because otherwise they would be destroyed by God's perfectness, His goodness, His holiness. So God sent His Son, who as we learned today was actually God, gave up His life for us to pay, for us to be made pure and holy. We could never make that payment ourselves, But God went ahead and made that payment for you. So this morning, if you would like to receive that free gift of salvation, The Bible says that you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He died for your sins. And you receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And it's a simple thing to do. You just simply pray, God, thank You for sending Your Son to pay the price for me. Thank You that He died on the cross when I should have been the one that died. And that through Him I have forgiveness of sins and newness of life. And I now call him my Lord and my Savior. If you'll say that simple prayer, it's as simple as that. And it's not the prayer that saves you, but it's the attitude of heart. It's the idea that you're confessing with your mouth and you're believing in your heart. But if you'll do those things and you have been saved, you have been born again. You're not who you are. You have been made brand new. And if you did that for the first time today, I want you to reach out to us. Leave a comment on either YouTube or Facebook where you're watching this. Send us an email. Give me a call Um, because I want to pray with you and I want to encourage you and get you started on the road to being a disciple. And the next step is baptism. After that, you saw, we saw those seven folks that got baptized this month. We want to do that with you as well. So reach out to us. Um, Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.